Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 26 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. As usual, I hope everybody's having a good week out there. Uh, I know that's particularly challenging given the time that we're going through. Uh, as much as I would like to keep these introductions evergreen, the truth is the world we're in right now is a little frightening. And of course, I'm talking about the coronavirus. Um, it, it's definitely had an impact on me, uh, not as drastically as many people out there. Uh, you know, I mean, I know we're all practicing social distancing and trying to stay somewhat isolated from each other to help prevent the spread of something significantly more drastic. But that has its own challenges. Uh, I, I have a job where that's simply not an option. And I, I would love nothing more than to be isolated for a week or two and just enjoy some time at home, isolated, sheltered, protected, knowing that my son is isolated and sheltered and protected as well. And I'm simply not in a position where I get to do that. And that's been really hard on me, particularly today. And I know I should be fortunate that I, I have a job. You know, there are many people who are potentially looking at coming through this Without that on the other side, especially as different industries are impacted dramatically by the economic downfall of all of this social distancing. But it's frustrating. It's hard. And it's definitely taken a toll on me. And I apologize for not being as upbeat as I usually am with my introductions. But that's how I'm feeling. Um... I'm scared, you know, I mean, and everybody I talk to has the same feeling that this is going to get worse. It's going to get scarier. And I'm not in a position where I get to show that fear to a lot of people. And so I get to put it here where anonymous strangers download my podcast and listen to it and listen to it or most likely fast forward through it until I get to the movie introduction. But that's where we are. And I hope you are taking care of yourself. Uh, there are many people out there who are not. There are many people out there who are being very stupid right now. And you're listening to a podcast, so I have to assume you have a certain level of intelligence and you're listening to this podcast, so I'm going to assume you have an even higher level of intelligence that's a joke, by the way. I'm usually self-deprecating. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there making very bad choices right now, which could have serious consequences for our society as a whole. And I hope that you're not among them. And I urge you just to remember the, the same thing that I've seen several people say, and I, I think it bears repeating, which is, if nothing bad happens in the next few weeks or the next few months, instead of going, well, this was all a waste, remember that that's why we're doing this. 
We're doing this to keep something bad from happening. And my biggest fear is that there's going to be a sense of complacency in another week or two of this social distancing. And that's not going to have been enough time for things to have calmed down as far as the virus goes. And we're going to end up seeing something really bad happening. So please follow the guidance that the people who know what they are talking about are giving you. And stay informed, stay educated, and stay careful. Let me turn abruptly to movie conversations because I really don't know how to segue out of that any differently. Um, well, always on Friday. Well, not always because I didn't last week, but usually on Friday, I post a Friday inquiry on our social media. That's at have not seen this on Twitter and at have not seen this podcast on Facebook. And that inquiry is related to the weekly selection. Last week was our wonderful conversation about the matrix. Uh, if you missed that episode, somehow go back and listen to it. It is probably one of the most upstanding conversations that we've had so far, just because of the perspective my guest brought, even though that was, it still is a pretty mainstream movie. Uh, but the Friday inquiry was the simple question that I asked him at the end of the episode, which is red pill or blue pill. And 60% of the answers I got said blue pill that we would much rather be in a fantasy world than know the truth and maybe the horror that's behind that truth. Personally, I think I would have to take the red pill. I am just too damn curious about things. When vague references are made to something, I want to know more. And if I got a whisper that we were in some sort of giant computer simulation, I have no doubt I would want to find the truth about that. So for me, it would be the red pill. But 60% of you who answered the question said blue pill, which I find a really interesting answer. Um, we're continuing our look at Keanu Reeves this week. That's something that really has happened before so far in the history of this podcast. Uh, and we're moving to an even more contemporary movie with 2014's John Wick. Now, one, it, does it really feel like it's been six years since John Wick came out? I mean, 2014? That's astonishing. But two, there are probably many of you who are going, well, it's a new movie. Who hasn't seen John Wick? And the simple answer is I hadn't until doing this episode of the podcast. I had had uh, my girlfriend, as I mentioned at the episode, had harassed me about not seeing it. Uh, several friends had harassed me about not seeing it. And it was like, well, I have this podcast now that takes priority as far as my movie selection goes. And thankfully for me, uh, Millen Singh, who is the guest this week, decided to choose John Wick as his film. And that's what we discuss. Uh, we talk about the fact that I hadn't seen it before. He's thrilled at the fact that I hadn't seen it before. And we talk in the episode about how I hadn't gotten to see the sequels at that point. Even though this was recorded uh, over a month ago at this point, I still haven't gotten a chance to see the sequels yet. It's still high on my priority list, but you kind of know things have happened in the world and I just haven't gotten a chance to do it yet. If I could be isolated away, then maybe I'd get a chance to do it, but it it'll come sooner or later. Hopefully sooner, because I really enjoyed John Wick, and I enjoyed getting to talk about it with Millen, and I hope you'll like the episode as well. So here we go. 2014's John Wick, much lighter, upbeat conversation than I'm opening the show with. So what kind of movies do you like? I, I, I listened to an episode of your podcast where you guys talked about horror movies, and I saw a couple episodes where you talked Star Wars. What What's in your wheelhouse as far as movies go? 
Um, I would say that I'm really into like spy movies, uh, thrillers, like sort of like, I guess I call them conspiracy movies, but really just like movies with an intricate plot. I also like the comedy versions of those movies. So like Get Smart from 2008 is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. And then I like superhero movies and occasional rom-com. I really, I like a lot of stuff, honestly. The only thing that doesn't really draw me that much is like the Oscar bait drama kind of stuff. Oh, really? You like, you said you like spy movies. Is that, I, I don't normally get into the guests podcast until later on. You'll get a chance to kind of promote it at the end, but I've got to ask spy fi after dark is a, a extremely strange title. Where, where does that come from? So spy fi is meant to be a larger sort of media venture, if you will. Um, there's the podcast and there's a vlog, which is much newer. But hopefully over time, it also spans like short filmmaking and video games and stuff like that. I have a bunch of interests in that realm. In in filmmaking? Yeah, in, in really all kinds of creative media production. Cool. So what kind of mo- film would you make? You know, um, if it were up to me and I had no limitations, then it would be, I'd be doing spy stuff, sci-fi stuff, uh, you know, action movies, that that kind of stuff. And then video games, is that a direction that you're headed as well, or is that just a a hope? That is a direction as well. Actually, that's where I started before I went into uh, web programming as a career. I was going to be a game designer, and then I realized, wow, that life is actually very miserable, and um, I don't want to put myself through that. And so I'd rather do something a little safer that pays better, and I don't have to move to Los Angeles. Now, what makes it miserable? Uh, long hours, low pay, and you're not really respected or given a position of any authority until you've been in the industry at least five or 10 years. Interesting. Yeah. I, I saw one episode of your podcast was about video game. Was it called failed video game or yeah. Surviving a commercial failure. That's it. Yeah. Well, part of the reason I wanted to introduce your podcast early on uh, with complete apologies to you, but I kind of I kind of stole something from your show for our conversation today. Oh, okay. Uh, I have a feeling I know where <laughs> this is going. So, in your latest season of your podcast, you started out with this game of recognizing a movie based on an audio clip. Yes. So I've pulled a couple of audio clips to run by you as kind of a little warm-up game here before we get into our actual discussion. Okay. And I will say that the concept itself was actually stolen from a YouTube channel, so you're just adding on to the trend. (laughs) Well, as much as I'd love to steal it regularly, I'm just doing it because you're the guest. It's not something I would make a regular part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) But so, all right. So you're ready for your first clip? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. First clip. <gasps> Dang, that's really tough, man. Um, <laughs> was that ten seconds? Was that uh, like seconds? like like three seconds? Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. Generic action movie number three. <laughs> Here, let me let me play it for you again. Maybe 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 you can get it better on the second time. <gasps> what? That's, that's, uh, whoa, that's from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, yeah, you got me on that one. I haven't seen that one. All right, all right. I, I think, I think you'll do better on the second one. Here we go. Whoa! 
is this just all variations of the same thing? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I mean, part of me wants to say it's the same movie, you know. No, I wouldn't do the same movie. Dude. Oh, shit. Hmm. Uh, you know, I uh, I have no earthly idea. All right, that that's Keanu Reeves in Point Break. Dang. You know, if you go like pre-2005, I'm kind of screwed. All right, all right. One, one more, and then we'll be done with this. I promise. We'll put, we'll put your pain to an end here. Okay. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> it sounded like some sort of a slice. Um, dude, I kind of sounded like Keanu's voice, but I'm not a hundo on that. Uh, you're, you're right. It is. Um. Oh God! I'm gonna dig into his filmography. Guy from the Matrix. <laughs> that is from the Matrix. That's see, oh, you wow. got, you got, you got it. Wow. Because we're talking Keanu today, and everybody always criticizes, you know, that he's whoa. So I figured I had to pull something for that, and and your your sound game just seemed fun in that direction. So, <laughs> well, well, now he's uh, he's whoa and yeah, or yeah. Because because oddly, in the movie we're talking about today, he doesn't say whoa at all. So. That's true. Sorry, right, let's get to it. We're talking about John Wick from 2014, directed by Chad Stalhinsky and David Leach, written by Derek Kolstad, starring Keanu Reeves, as we said, Michael Nyquist, Alfie Allen, Willem Dafoe, Dean Winters, Adrian Palicki, Lance Reddick, Bridget Minahan, John Legazamo, and Ian McShane. That's one hell of a cast. It really is. And I spent probably every other appearance going, wait, is that John Leguizamo? Is that Ian McShane? Oh my God. Like I didn't, because there's no opening credits for me to have read the names and I hadn't done a ton of research on it. So is it, is it just me or is John Leguizamo like the other Michael Pena? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I lost everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan, you got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. Nobody? But nobody. It's John Wick. You working again? No, I just sorting some stuff out. Task your crew. How many? As many as you have. Hey, John. I thought I'd let myself in. People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. I'm not afraid of John Wick. Uh Uh-huh. How good's your laundry? No one's that good. I thought not. So, yeah, this is a hell of a cast. Um, 
And I had not seen this movie until you brought it to the show. It's it's no been way. on my radar. Yeah, I had. In fact, I was given flack by my girlfriend and another friend just about a month ago for not having seen it. So when you picked it, like the week after they had given me a hard time, it was like, yeah, now I have an excuse to see it and in your face. So, so, so you know, you know, you've messed up when your girlfriend tells you you need to watch an action movie. <laughs> now, I, I before we get into it, I will say I had hoped to watch all three before we sat down to record. Uh, and I even had one and two on DVD and three is on HBO, but I only had time to actually get in the first one. So let's try to refrain from too many spoilers about okay, the, the second two movies because I'm still going to enjoy those. I won't spoil any of the story, I promise. I It's funny, I had the same goal and the same outcome happened. So, <laughs> And we even pushed back recording a week. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? I describe this movie as like, you've got amazing fight choreography. And it's a movie that really personifies the show don't tell rule with the exception of like one scene, but it's like halfway into the movie and you don't really care at that point. Show don't tell is a big big item for me uh when a previous podcast i was on that was kind of the horse that i was always riding was criticizing filmmakers for that which scene in this do you feel like breaks that show don't tell there's just the one scene when he talks to uh, uh winston in the in the bar and he sort mm-hmm. of just gives him a little bit of exposition about how the continental works that's oh the, yeah that's the only time they don't do show yeah and even that they kind of dance lightly around it's not i didn't feel like it was heavy-handed yeah, and I believe it's I believe it's even intercut with other stuff, so it's not even like just straight on. Yeah. So why of all the movies that are out there is this your choice? Because this is a relatively recent movie for for the time frame of you know film history. Yeah, I think um, this is the most contemporary movie you've done so far, as far as I can tell. I I just I think this is a classic. I think this is destined to be a classic if it isn't considered to be a classic already. It's like. It's one of those like action films that kind of defines the modern action genre. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much fun to watch. I mean, I've probably seen it three or four times now, and I still enjoy the heck out of it every time I see it. So one of the things that occurred to me while I was watching it is, you know, looking at Keanu Reeves' career over the last 15 years, I guess. You know, he does the Matrix trilogy, and then... he something's got to give gets a lot of acclaim, but then his bigger name pictures, he's got a lot of little ones sprinkled in there that I'd not even heard of, but you have Constantine in 2005, a scanner darkly in 2006, the lake house in 2006, the day the earth stood still in 2008 and 47 Ronin in 2013. His career is kind of on this downward trend over that period of time. Yeah. This movie very much revived his career. And then on top of that, the log line for this movie is, an ex-hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. Yes. So you've got a, a career on the decline and a description of an ex-hitman tracking down gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. How is this not a straight-to-DVD movie? You know, that is a good question. I think the answer is, one, the budget was more than $5 million. And <laughs> two... Too is directed by the guy who made the Matrix and starring, or not the guy who made the Matrix, but the stunt choreographer, stunt choreographer for the Matrix, and of course starring the man himself from the Matrix. So I think they figured they had enough star power to to go to the theaters. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed it, 
and I agree with you. You know, it's definitely a film that I will be revisiting again, um, if nothing else, just because it's a lot of kick-ass fun. But as I was watching it, that was my thought is this, you know, there, there are so many careers. You look at like Jean-Claude Van Damme or uh, even Bruce Willis, who as their career has started to decline, a lot of their movies just go straight to DVD. And on paper, this movie feels like this should have gone that direction, but it didn't. I totally feel it. You're right. Like logically speaking, absolutely. I probably should have gone that direction, but then some executive probably got a pitch from one of these guys and was like, we're going to teach Keanu how to actually fight. It's going to be really gritty and awesome. Oh, and by the way, we need $40 million. And he's like, okay. (laughs) So it's done pretty well. Critically, it sits at 86% at rotten tomatoes. It sits at 68% at Metacritic, which tends to be a little lower anyway. Uh, I always try to pull in a couple of reviews just as a point of comparison. Uh, And this time, our positive review comes from Richard Corliss from Time Magazine, who wrote, In 1960, French critic Michel Morlet famously proclaimed that Charlton Heston is an axiom, meaning that Heston's image and impact transcended the definition of movie performer. In that sense... Keanu Reeves is a cone, paradox that confounds all reason. Within the narrow range of emotion he displays, mad Keanu, bad Keanu, and of course, sad Keanu, Reeves does not exactly act. He just is. And in John Wick, where he plays a retro neo in a crime drama with lots of martial arts and gun fu, that is, is plenty. Now, interestingly, that review was titled, In John Wick, Keanu Reeves is back up to speed. And the negative review comes from a review that said Keanu Reeves not up to speed in a new flick, John Wick. (laughs) Had to play with the speed because, you know, he was in speed in case you didn't know. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. So the negative review comes from Dave Kerr from the Chicago Tribune, who writes Reeves tries scrunching up his face in anguish every now and then, but essentially remains the same somnolent performer as in The Matrix 15 years ago. Only Derek Kolstad has provided him with vastly less clever script. One that mistakes jokiness for wit. Hmm. So both critics are talking more about Reeves in those that I pulled. What do you think about this? Do you think there's emotion here? Do you think there's range here? Do you think they're right? You know, I think the first guy is pretty much on it. Like the brilliance of this story, it actually kind of reminds me a lot of Taken in that it's a really condensed concept executed exceptionally well. And so this is not going to be a critic flavored movie where they're looking for something like different and unique. Like it's not that kind of movie. So I wouldn't expect critics to like it because they see a bunch of movies. So, you know, something like this would be fine, but wouldn't like really blow their minds. But as a more casual movie goer who maybe only sees a few movies, 10, 12 movies a year, watching this is like, it's like gold, you know, cause it's so well executed. I mean, that's really the, my main praise for it is just, it's, so well done. It's not super original and it doesn't have to be because it knows what it is and it does it very well. Yeah. No, I agree with you. That's absolutely. Uh, I, I, Keanu's lack of range didn't really bother me. And I feel like the scenes where he needed to have emotion, he pulled it off quite well. Um, you know, everybody cracks on what really gets him coming after them is that they killed his dog but he has that scene where he explains what that dog meant, that it wasn't that they killed the dog. It was that they killed his hope of not being alone, his permission to be with somebody else to mourn his dead wife. 
mm-hmm. there's a lot more depth to what that dog represented. And I feel like in that scene where he discusses that, the emotions pretty well covered. Oh, I think so for sure. I think actually I would go so far as to say that him being relatively emotionless actually plays into his character. The whole idea is that everyone reacts to who he is without any context. Like so much is said about him with literally not saying anything that if he were like very expressive and said a whole bunch, it would feel completely wrong. Yeah. No, I think, you know, if he's supposed to be carrying on this legacy, we're supposed to believe that he is the killer who got out, but that when he was at the top of his game, he was, how did they put it? He's the one, he's the one they send to kill the boogeyman. Yeah. You know, and, and that's going to come with a certain amount of detachment that I think Keanu has in his performance. Now, whether that's because Keanu can't act or because that's the choices he makes is irrelevant. The bottom line is he comes across as this detached character, which fits who John Wick is supposed to be. I certainly think so. So for those who haven't seen the movie, John Wick is a retired assassin. As I just said, he left the game because he found love. And unfortunately, through tragedy, his wife dies of an illness, I guess, cancer. And he is left with a car that he absolutely loves. And his wife had ordered him before she passed away a dog so that he would have something to love besides the car. And he unintentionally and unwittingly attracts the attention of some young Russian thugs who decide they want to take the car. And in breaking into his house to take the car, they kill the dog and kind of reawaken the demon that he was. And he returns to that underworld in order to exact his revenge. And I was, when I was watching the movie, you know, he, they leave him beaten up and he's already so on his journey for revenge that he doesn't even stop to change his shirt from where he got beaten up. He's walking around in this bloodied shirt, but he does stop to bury the dog. And it just made me think of this ancient, I think it's Chinese saying about when you seek Before you leave on a journey for revenge, dig two graves. The idea being that, yeah, you may kill who you're after, but you're going to kill yourself as well. And I almost kind of saw that burying of the dog meeting that idea that that's that's his old life. That was the last remnant he had of that life. That's the last remnant he had of his wife. And here he is putting it to ground before he goes back to the world he was in. Mm -hmm. And um, a quick side note, I think it's important that a lot of people, when they watch that initial scene, they think, why would they kill his dog? Like, it's just the weirdest thing because, you know, it's an American audience. And here we like treat dogs with all this respect and they're part of our family. In Russian, dogs are not treated with that quite, uh, with quite that level of respect in their society. So it actually is very in line with their heritage that dogs are sort of treated as less than people. Right. And they don't like kill it. That's the interesting thing, you know, that. Again, that was me going into it, knowing about the movie is, oh, they kill his dog. They don't like go after the dog. It's just the dog is barking and that's the way they shut it up. It's not an act of malice as much as it's an, the dog is an inconvenience and this is how they take care of it. Yeah. It's like a practicality concern. I didn't feel like the movie handled the death of the dog as this big overdrawn thing. I mean, the shot of him laying there on the ground with the dead dog nearby is certainly supposed to get you in some regard, but like, but that's look it. at other movies where dogs die. Like, I Am Legend, 
yeah. you know, going back to old Yeller, where that's really supposed to have you bawling your eyes out. And I don't feel like that was the filmmaker's point with the death of the dog in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I also want to mention that something that I think is really, really special about this movie, like in the reviews, we're talking about like the emotional grounding of the movie. They don't actually get to the fight scenes till like 30 minutes into the movie. Like the first fight scene is literally the first act break. Everything up yeah. until then is emotional underscoring. It's like you set up the relationship between John and his wife. You see that sort of finishing and see his reaction to it and how he's like not taking care of himself. And you see him get this dog and him bond with the dog for like five minutes. And then he meets the characters and things start going from there. But it's one of those things that if someone would have criticized like the lack of emotional grounding, it's right there. It's the first 30 minutes. It's so, it's so important to the movie that it's the entire first 30 minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. Even though a lot of people went to the movie to see the fight scenes. Well, and those fight scenes are amazing. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was, there were there several moments that I was just audibly, like, I'm glad I watched it at home instead of in a theater because I was, there were several times where I was like, no way, you know, like that move just happened. And one of the things I think about having skilled stuntmen doing these things is that the camera can be pulled back and let you actually see the action instead of the frenetic editing style that contemporary filmmakers tend to rely on. There's a lot of letting the audience watch the actual action in this movie as opposed to that heavy editing. Yes. And I'm, I'm like, I'm so happy that this is the first time you've seen the movie because you have this like first time fresh perspective. (laughs) The, The brilliance of this is it's literally directed by a stunt coordinator. So if you if you are ever wondering like why are the fight scenes so good in this movie it's cuz this is what he does. Like this is his specialty. And then he gets to train Keanu in gun handling and martial arts and Keanu does a lot of his own fighting. And you know, there's only like like Adrian Paliki doesn't do her own fighting. You'll notice in her fight scenes with him when she's actually doing something like really acrobatic or like really like stunt heavy, her hair is basically covering her face cuz it's a stunt double. Do you think so because the the reading i did on it said that she did most of her own stunts really yeah maybe that's just the cynical side of me yeah it said that she did most of her own stunts and keanu did something like 90 percent of his own stunts oh wow okay I, I could be wrong i just i figured usually that technique is used to especially when you have women you can very easily obscure their face right so right it's a common way to to disguise a stunt actor yeah no and i'm very familiar with that <laughs> i i just watched uh another movie with oddly enough with ian mcshane in it that that was very clearly stunt doubles used at times and you could very much tell when it was a stunt double and when it was the main actor yeah yeah i will say they do wherever there are stunt doubles it's clearly very well done because it's really hard to notice yeah no but like i i love the physicality of the fights there was i i and again since i've only seen it you know the first time but there's a fight where he like before another guard can come, he kind of throws himself at the one guard and wraps himself around it, slamming him to the ground. And it was just mm-hmm. like, that's impressive. Yeah. Just the physicality of that move. And there's a lot more of that in the sequels. Yeah, I've heard. So you've got something to look forward to. Oh, I'm excited about seeing more of them. I really enjoyed watching this one. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the most in-depth movie, but that's okay. I think I- I'm... I'm not a fan of the critics who just immediately poo-poo on the big summer popcorn movies. There's a place for those kinds of movies, and this definitely fits in that category. 100%. Yeah, the um, 
the fights are obviously they're very they're very gritty but one of the things i really like about it is you actually see the state of john like changing over time because these fights are so drawn out and so long and he's fighting so many people it doesn't matter that he's like the best assassin in the world like an incredible athlete an incredible acrobat it doesn't matter that he's got all these tools because he's fighting so many guys that by the end of that fight he's like limping around he's hurting he's got blood all over him like you you can literally see a visual change in him i even think i think they even like untuck his shirt by the end of the fight or something like like they pay attention to those details and that's i found that really cool because he's like a superhero you know like a lot of these action movies the main character is kind of a superhero like slightly superhuman but at Mm -hmm. the same time like he's clearly fallible and he's clearly getting hurt and you don't see that a lot in action movies yeah no and i i love that first major fight at his house where the the squad has come to to hit him at his house um because we've just been told by our major bad guy you know the leader of the russian mob that he is um he's he is about focus He's a sheer, he's just a sheer force of will. And literally two minutes later, you're seeing him take this guy down, fighting with him for control of the knife. And the other guy may have leverage, but John Wick has just the sheer force of will. Like that's how he manages to get the knife twisted and turned and kill the guy is just through his own will. And it's like, there's an illustration of what we were just told. Yeah. And how about like one of the most unconventional phone conversation scenes where one side literally says nothing while the other side is like prodding them and like trying to get them to say something like right taking different approaches like john like talk to me like it just hangs up I just, yeah i, I love that so, it's so emblematic of his it, he already knows like there's nothing you can say like it's over well all of the phone conversations are kind of interesting in that way like i love the phone conversation between you know our our primary bad guy and um John Leguizamo's character, you know, because John John Leguizamo is not in this movie for very long, but he's the one who delivers the news to Vigo uh, Terezov. Why did you hit my son? Oh, because, you know, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. And what's Vigo's response? Oh, oh, and he hangs up the phone. (laughs) It's like, yeah, there you go. Exactly. You don't have Keanu saying that in this movie. You have everyone else saying it instead, which is a nice in joke if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, some of the humor in this movie is is quite good. Like after that first fight that I'm talking about, I don't know why I keep coming back to that one. There's lots of other fights to discuss, but when the you know that fight ends and the police show up, oh yeah, I love that. And, and the police officer knocks, and you know he, he looks in and sees the body on the ground, and it's just like, so you working again? No, just taking care of some loose ends. Okay, have a have a nice night. And it's like. What would he have said if he'd said, yes, I'm working again? You get the impression that they have a relationship that predates this, that he knew what John Wick you know, did and has learned to turn a blind eye to it. What I love about that and like a lot of the other interactions he has, when he's asking that question, he's kind of like physically backing away at the same time. Like clearly he knows who this guy is, right? And there's, there's just this aura of respect that like in literally every detail of how characters interact with him, you can see through their actions how they feel about him and how scared they are of him. Like literally yeah. every character in the movie. It's it's impressive how consistent it is. And that's what made me so angry when they first put out the contract on John Wick and they go to Marcus, who is played by Willem Dafoe, 
and offer him, you know, the contract. And he says, yes. And I'm like, dude, you were just at his wife's funeral, you know, a couple weeks ago. And now you're going to kill him. Like that made me angry because there had been this respect between them. There had been this friendship between them. And then he agrees to take the contract. Now, Mm -hmm. little did I know what direction the film was going to go. Yep. That when he takes that first shot at John, it's not to kill him. It's to wake him up so that he's alert for, you know, the next threat that's coming. And yeah. he even jokes later on, how many times do I have to save your life? And he literally saves his life when the guys have him. They have the plastic bag over his head. He would die there straight up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and he probably wouldn't have, you know, done very well if he had still been asleep when Perkins comes in. Pretty Probably not. Which is that first time that he, you know, saves his life. Yeah, she's pretty he was asleep. Yeah. I really enjoyed her, by the way. I did too. I like Adrian Palicki anyway, but I thought she really nailed that just cold calculating killer type. Definitely. Definitely. And my other like context for her is in Agents of Shield. So it's kind of funny that it's like kind of a similar character between the two. Yeah. I you haven't seen her on the Orville? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um Seth MacFarlane's kind of a spoof of star trek but he's really what he's shown is he knows how to do star trek better than the people who are responsible for star trek right now (laughs) um she plays the the first officer okay and she's had some good scenes in it i'll have to check it out but yeah you're right it's very similar to her agents of shield character in that regard but i i also love what she represents because there's a real sense, and it's again, it's that show don't tell, so we don't know a lot about it. I'm going to assume that it's something they expand upon in the sequels, but I really like the sense of the code of this underworld, you know, the the code of honor that they work by. That's my favorite part of the movie is is the world building aspect. That's what I whenever I talk to people about the movie, I'm like, the world building is the best part. Because they take this concept, you know, the concept honor among thieves, they uh-huh. literally take that and then put it up to like 12 and expand it out into like a universe. And it's like, it's brilliant. And I, it makes me wonder like, why has no one done this before? Like, why had I not seen this before in a movie? Right. And, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about her character in particular is she's the one who breaks that code. And so without going heavy handed about it, we get to kind of establish what the code is, you know, that there's no business done on the grounds of the continental period. Yeah. And, and again, they don't have to tell you about it because they'll show you the consequences of breaking the rules. Right. And I love the fact, cause it, it felt like, Oh, well she got away without any consequences. And I love the fact that when you see the consequences, they're done away from the continental. Because mm-hmm. enacting those consequences on continental grounds would be a breach of the code. Yep. So they just wait till she gets away and they can corner her and they just calmly come in. You know, she doesn't put up a protest because she knows what's coming and she knows this is the price for what she chose to do. Yeah. And you even have that mutual respect between Vigo and John Wick to some degree. You know, John's fight is not with Vigo. Yeah. And, and Vigo knows that his success has come because of john's actions so the two of them have almost this mutual respect it's just that damn kid that's gotten in the way yeah that stupid teenager who uh, it cracked me up my my girlfriend was watching it with me and she was like you know he always plays such shits and i was like yeah i've seen him in other stuff before and i look him up on imdb and of course he's theon Greyjoy in game of thrones i was like yeah that checks out yeah i haven't actually seen game of thrones so i'm gonna assume your reference is good 
I've only seen the first season, but I've read quite a few of the books. Oh, okay. So I I know what direction that character heads. Assuming the TV show follows that, then yeah, he that that checks out. He's kind of a shit. Yeah, he very much has the face for it. Yeah, especially in this. And actually, I think that's that's one of the things with the cast is I feel like a lot of them very much portrayed like the archetype they're supposed to portray. Like Michael Nyquist is is like that Russian bad guy. Like that's oh, yeah. what he is, even though he's Swedish. Yeah, and uh, you know if you've seen him in the um, girl with the dragon tattoo movies, the original ones, this is a different role. But if you haven't seen him in that, if you're familiar with a lot of his other work, then yes, this is kind of what you're used to seeing him as. Yeah, I have. So I actually have seen that movie, but I can't say I remember much of it. I've seen a number of his other movies though, like more contemporary ones. Well, and Ian McShane, I mean, it's like he shows up and he doesn't say much, but when he does, you listen. I feel like I feel like when you watch it and you see like a new character introduce themselves and you kind of get a sense for them, your first reaction of like, of course they picked that guy. You know, it's like, duh. Like they just took they're like, who would be the most obvious pick for this role? That guy? Let's get him. <laughs> and yeah, and I also have to throw in because we were just talking about the Continental, uh Lance Reddick who plays the concierge. Uh oh, he's I, so I, great. Oh, and I, I love seeing him. He's never really been a leading man type, but I always love the supporting roles that he plays. And here it's just, it's, it's again, it's that honor among thieves. Like he's just very straight about everything. It's like, you know, he, John Wick shows up at the counter, you know, beat all to hell. Oh, are you going to need the doctor? You know, it's like no big deal. And he very much exudes that like properness, you know, in his, and the way he carries himself, and of course the way he acts through the role, and the way he's dressed, and it just it, it exudes that that you know honor is very much like associated with that sort of almost British properness, you know, like those two things kind of go very hand in hand in this movie. Yeah, one of the, one of the quotes that I read about the movie uh, from the costume designer was essentially something along the lines of, "I didn't want to get too crazy with the costumes because fundamentally this is a movie about men in suits fighting each other and i'm like well yeah that's pretty much sums it up right there well and i and i love that when when john like he almost once you know like i i've seen the movie posters you know so he looked very weird at the beginning of the movie to be in like a white shirt and a brown jacket and i love that when he leaves behind his old world and his or his new world and is going back to this old world He's suiting up, you know, he is putting on a three piece suit. It's all in black. So it kind of represents him mourning, but Mm -hmm. it's just mostly he's going to kick ass and look good while he's doing it. It's also symbolically like losing all of his color. Like he just goes to straight monochrome black. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris, the host of Killer Jobs, the podcast that discovers the day jobs of the world's most famous serial killers. Explore how these psychopaths functioned in the real world, how murder interfered with their work, and what coworkers had to say. Killer Jobs investigates a new serial killer every Tuesday and is available on all podcast players. So... John gives, as we said, he and Vigo kind of have a mutual respect for each other. It's that kid that gets in the way, and John gives him the choice to turn over his son, and and Vigo takes it. Mm -hmm. I mean, presumably knowing what not doing it would cost him. Yeah. Could you do that? You know, I don't. 
I don't think I could, but at the same time, like if, if I'm trying to put myself in this universe of like these people that I'm surrounded by, I don't know. I, I almost feel like I would be forced to like out of circumstance. Like it's not even just about John himself. It's like, there's almost like a reputation attached to you because now you're not just a criminal. You're, you have a reputation in an organization. Like you're almost like an employee kind of, but you know, not really everyone's, you know, working for themselves, but at the same time, you're part of this larger org. And so your reputation among like your peers is also important. And it's like, if you like go down this path, it sort of takes you away from them. And even if you survive, you kind of like destroyed your potential livelihood. Yeah. And actually, I think it's really interesting that as he progresses, he becomes more like base, like the honor and and all that stuff that all that stuff that's put on by the Continental like gets shredded one piece at a time as the movie goes. So he goes from this like proper guy at the beginning to just like literally very animalistic in that final fight scene with John. Um, and and you know cunning and conniving and he doesn't play by the rules he pulls out a knife he says no guns and he pulls out a knife you know and i think it's a commentary that no matter how much structure and properness you put on criminal activity these people will ultimately devolve into their basest forms because they are criminals but yet there's a charm to them i mean i i totally get what you're saying and i agree with that but at the same time, there's a charm to some of them. Like I was just looking through my notes and, you know, so you have Perkins makes her attempt on John Wick and she fails and she gets tied up. And John asks his next door neighbor at the hotel, Harry, to look at her, right? To watch her. Yeah. And that's the only time we see Harry is John and he interact briefly. How'd you like to earn a gold coin? Keep an eye on her. And then when she escapes and she kills Harry. I still felt really bad that she killed Harry. And it's oh, like, no, this is I a character really I just too. met. How can I feel bad for a character that I know nothing about? And yet it's because there's this sense of honor and this sense of camaraderie that kind of, I think, made me feel bad for him. And that's, I mean, and that's, that's what's really cool is that these people you see in this thing, you like them because they haven't been, they haven't had that taken away from them yet. I think that's what makes that final fight. And I just, this is the first viewing where I thought this, this is a thought that I came up with last night when oh, I was I watching that scene was the fact, the fact that you see Nyquist become this, like he feels like very animalistic, very basic. Like he's, he's just fighting for a survival. And in my mind, I'm like, I think this is like to prove a point that yes, the continental is here. And yes, it like, imposes this structure and honor on people and it makes you kind of like them and it makes them get along with each other. But when push really comes to shove, like when it really is all on the line, they're still going to fall to that baser instinct. They're still going to show, you know, the killer inside of them because these are all dangerous people that are just like they're, they're dulled and you don't feel their danger when you see them because they exist in this structure of honor. But if you take them out of that, Oh my God, they're nasty. Yeah. Well, and, and we see a little bit of that, I think, with Marcus because, well, maybe not because he does maintain his honor, even though the audience is made to think that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but his finality, you know, being captured again by Vigo, and I guess Vigo is planning on taking him out on his terms, and Marcus is like, no, I'm going out on my own. And like his best chance to escape was on the street right. before they went into the house. So like that's, he's very much still in that honor framework. And I think um, 
if you think about it, when he is first approached by Vigo to accept the contract, the fact that he accepts it so quickly and so nonchalantly should probably have keyed us into, oh, he's not actually going to do it. Because, yeah, but we didn't know the world that well at that point. But we we knew several other characters at that point who, when they had just heard the name John Wick, they visibly paused, and they visibly like stammered, like, uh, uh, you know, like, oh my god, John Wick, you know, and he's just like, sure. I guess if I had had more context, like if I had, if he had already gotten to the Continental and kind of this rule among honor among thieves had been established. And then the contract had been posed to Marcus and he took it so quickly, then I would have gone, yeah, okay, he's not. But but they do it before they establish the world. And I think that specifically that order is important to make the audience suspect that he is going to do it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because that's the direction they want. I mean, it's misdirection, but it's that nice sequencing of events. It's putting it before you really know the world which I, I think is a, a brilliant way of building the story. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm mentioning more in the sense that after you see the whole thing play out, you are able to look back and be like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like it makes all, it makes a lot of sense in hindsight and his character remains very consistent. So I guess it's more of just praise for the character direction than anything else. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So what's your favorite fight, favorite fight moment in this? Okay, my favorite singular fight moment is when he's in the club and he goes not not in the bathhouse but after he goes up and they go through the the crowd of people and he's upstairs and he goes through the door and he takes out the, like five guys in that little hallway with the pillars. That's right. dope. That's just I think that's my favorite single like fight moment cuz you get <laughs> you get all of his choreography, you get his accuracy, he reloads like one, once or twice, at least once. I don't think it's twice. Is that the one where he runs out of the ammo and he incapacitates the guy for long enough that he gets to reload? Yeah, he hits the guy in his Adam's apple and the guy is just right. like struggling to breathe and then he's able to reload. Yeah. Yeah, without there being any real threat. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. Yes, yes. It show, It really, I feel like that scene in particular showed his proficiency more than any, any other individual scene. Although the scene in the house is also along that all along those lines too. Like I love the moment where they both go to the wall and he's just like, Oh, he's going to shoot through the wall. So I'm going to duck down. Like, you know, those kinds of like little decisions right. were really cool. That was really cool too. Yeah, absolutely. I liked the, the kind of the, it's not really a car chase, but where he's kind of run the blockade in his car there towards the end. And he just stays in the car and is driving around, taking out all the thugs. It's almost like a rodeo. Yeah. But instead of a lasso, he has a gun. And instead of a horse, he has his you know car. Yeah. But just the way it came across, it felt very old west, even though it's in this you know newer contemporary setting. Oh yeah, it's a great. It's just literally every fight scene is amazing, and every fight scene I think shows you like a slightly different side of his style a little bit. Like you get you get different hints at different places. Like you're saying at the end, you get this like in the car fight scene, in the one sort of towards the towards the end, but not at the end where he's like at the church after the church. You see him with a rifle and like sort of using overwhelming power as opposed to just like agility. In the first one, it's more like he's more like like weaving around them, if you will. Right. Sort of like going in and out, going back and forth. It's almost like more stealth like a little bit. And then in the one in the club, it's very like directed. This is my target. I'm going to just mow through these guys until I get to it. Yeah. So the other character we've talked about a lot about, you know, some of the primary characters, the other character who, who's actually in a lot of the movie 
But we haven't mentioned is Avi, the kind of the right hand man oh, to Vigo. Yeah. I think he might be my favorite side character. And who who most people would recognize Dean Winters as Mayhem from the insurance commercials. Yes. And then he was on, I remember him being in a couple of episodes of 30 Rock. And I mean, he's a great character actor that pops up from time to time, but I loved him here. Oh, he's so good. He's he's that he's that actor that you're like, I know that guy, but I don't know where I know him from. Right. <laughs> right. But his his little, you know, oh, I'd go get him if I just had a gun. Anybody got a gun? Somebody give me a gun. Anybody, you know, he's not really trying all that hard to get a gun as evidenced um, by the fact when everybody gets out of the car, they quickly draw their guns and he's still inside going, if I just had a gun. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when he when he goes outside and he shoots at John, he only has one bullet. I didn't notice that. That's that's why, because when you saw it, you're probably like, why did he only shoot once? And I think it's because his reaction to it's like a little a little off. Like it's so fast that you can't tell. He kind of like smiles because what he's actually doing, he's just like, oh, Vigo fucked me. He gave me a gun with yep. one bullet in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because Vigo, because he's doing the scrambling around. If I only had a gun and Vigo yeah. hands him that gun, like put your money where your mouth is. Exactly. Exactly. So he hands him a gun with one bullet. That's hilarious. And I actually didn't even realize that until this viewing. So it took me like four viewings to actually realize he only had one bullet. I always thought that moment was really weird. It's like, why does he just smile after shooting one bullet and missing? (laughs) That's hilarious. So the end of the movie, which left me with two thoughts. And I, I think it's supposed to be a happy ending, I guess. You know, even though he's gone back to his own, his old ways He's back in that underworld life. But it left me with two thoughts, which is one, he didn't get his car back, which my girlfriend has told me is like the first scene of the second movie is yes, deals is. with that. Okay. He didn't get his car back. And didn't that dog belong to somebody else? Wasn't that just like a veterinary shelter? I think it's implied that it's like, um, like a shelter, like they're not owned by anyone. Okay. But, but I don't know if that's, I mean, you raise like a good, like on the one hand, like it seems like a really dumb location for that kind of a thing. Like you're on like a dockyard. <laughs> it's kind of like the <laughs> weirdest place to have a shelter like that. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense, but I, I always took it as like, that was, these were unwanted. Okay. I you can, know? I can see that. I guess, especially because it's, it's like a pit bull breed, yeah. which tend to be heavily abandoned, unfortunately. Yeah. Hard to, hard to find families for But I mean, you're, I guess you're supposed to be happy that he has another dog, but that was just what my thought was is doesn't that dog belong to somebody else? So our happy ending is he doesn't get his car back and he steals somebody else's dog. <laughs> yeah, I never I never thought about it from that perspective. I think it's because because the dog like trusts him so quickly, I just kind of assume that it doesn't have an owner. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I can't wait to see the second movie. I was gonna watch it like Dude, this it's weekend. So good. But and this this movie, like I have this thing where I think sequels have no right to not be as good as the original. Like if you really think about it, because they have, they're starting from something. The original has to go through all this, like set or character building and world building to like set up the story. They can kind of just jump off from where they left off. So they have like an extra 15 minutes of effective runtime they can work with. So I'm just this, this particular series like exemplifies that where every movie gets better than the last one. So that's good to hear. I, I had a college professor who argued that the second movies tend to have things harder because 
most sequels are not intended from the get-go. So you watch the original movie, which is designed to be a self-contained story, and then it gets a sequel. And the job of the sequel is to expand on the original to justify the need for another movie. And in a lot of cases, that sequel is setting things up for a third picture. And so the college, my college professor argued that the second movie actually has the right to be weaker because it's setting things up for a kick-ass third movie. I would say traditionally that's definitely true. But in today's Hollywood filmmaking, I think all movies, even though they're usually designed to be self-contained, they're designed in such a way that they're easily expandable. Well, and then I took like Pirates of the Caribbean to her and pointed out, you know, that the second movie did all the heavy lifting to set up a third movie, which didn't pretty much first thing it did was disregard everything that happened in the second movie. And (laughs) she, she had no response for that. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to mention was along the same lines, the production budget for the movie also doubled for the second one. So it went up to like 80 and then it went up to like 130 for the third one. And they each made more money each time. And there's going to be a fourth one at some point. In the near right. Future. I know that a fourth one is, is underway as well. I think it's slated for 2021. And I am, I'm incredibly envious of you that you have not seen these movies yet because you're going you're <laughs> to love them. I, I really enjoyed the first one. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we move into the uh, ending credits here? Um, I think I'm good. Okay. All right. So first up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is kind of a lightning round. It's the various algorithms out there say, because you liked this movie, John Wick, you might like these movies. So it's kind of lightning round response. Yes, you like that movie. No, you don't like that movie. You don't understand why the hell that was recommended. That kind of thing. Okay. All right. So first up, The Equalizer. Uh, Yeah, I can see that. I haven't actually seen it, but from what I've seen, that makes sense. Okay. Jack Reacher. Definitely makes sense. That's a fun one. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I've seen both of them. The first one's better than the second one, but it's a good movie. Okay. Red. Oh, that's a retired one, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of see it. It's an action movie, I guess. It's fun. It's a good good movie. All right. Uh, Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thematically pretty similar. Revenge stories. <laughs> you know, kind superhero of, yeah. main characters. Yeah. Okay. All right. Kingsman, the Secret Service. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually the first one I think of when I think of John Wick, because that that to me, like John Wick, obviously is incredible action scenes that are like really innovative and unique. Kingsman is the same thing. Its action sequences are really stylized, really awesome looking, really unique. No one had really done stuff like that. So those two, I definitely think of those two movies together a lot. Now, most people I know fall on one side or the other with Kingsman where they went in and they really liked it. And then it gets to that church scene and either they're in whole hog or they hate the movie from that point forward. Oh, Kingsman is one of my favorite movies. Okay. I, I love that movie. All right. Baby driver. Okay. So I think I could see why it would be associated, but at the same time, they're really not that similar. I've not seen Baby Driver yet. It's another one that I've been harassed about needing to see. So. Baby Driver to me was, I was expecting more than I got, I think. I tend to generally like not expect much when I go into movies. Like I don't like to watch too many trailers. I like to just kind of see them as cold as possible. Like Maybe like reading a synopsis and that's where I get most of my info. But um, it definitely did, was, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was still, it was still good. Like I still enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't what I was, as what I was anticipating. 
All right. And lastly, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I can't say that that's a fair like, to relate them because they're very different, even though Guardians is a great movie. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't relate them together. Agreed. All right. Finally, we have pop quiz for multiple choice questions that are related to the movie. In this case, John Wick. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one. While Joseph is holed up in the safe house, one of his buddies is passing the time playing a video game. Eagle-eyed viewers noticed his username was a direct reference to what Keanu Reeves character? Oh, I didn't see his username. A, Johnny Utah, B, Ted Logan, C, Neo, or D, Ortiz the dog boy. So I feel like C is like the obvious one, but I feel like it's so obvious that it wouldn't be like that good of an Easter egg. And I don't know the other three references, so I'm just going to like flip a coin and go with B. B, Ted Logan. No, you were right. It was Neo. You should have gone with that. <laughs> Johnny Utah uh, is his character from Point Break. Ted Logan is from Bill and Ted. And Ortiz the Dog Boy is an uncredited appearance he had in the movie Freaked, oh. which I have not seen yet. Okay. All right. Number two, there's no denying the on-screen presence of Ian McShane in his small part here, but he was not the original Winston. What actor did McShane replace? A, Robert De Niro, B, Al Pacino, C, Jason Isaacs, or D, Rucker Hauer? I'm going to go with De Niro. No, De Niro was a consideration for the role, but he wasn't, he hadn't actually gotten it. Jason Isaacs was the original Winston. Who is Jason Isaacs? Uh, Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies is what he's best known for. Oh. If you know Harry Potter. If you don't, he was Captain Hook in that Peter Pan movie a couple of years ago. Huh. Um, He's done a lot of stuff. He's also on the new Star Trek series, not Picard, but the uh, Star Trek Discovery. Well, I'm sure he's a good actor, but I'm glad they went with McShane. Yeah, De Niro, Pacino, and Howard were apparently all considered for the role, but I'm glad they went with Ian McShane. Yeah. The other ones are probably too hard to get, realistically. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was only a $40 million budget, and you have Keanu and a few other names in there. so And heavy action. And very heavy action. All right, number three, the in-house doctor at the Continental has helped Keanu Reeves before. What prior Reeves movie did he appear in? A, The Matrix Reloaded, B, Little Buddha, C, Man of Tai Chi, or D, 47 Ronin? I believe it's Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, he's the key maker in The Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, because, yeah, he shows, and it's actually, I don't remember him from the first movie. I remember him from one of the other movies, (laughs) which is how- He's he's he shows up again in the future. Oh, gotcha. So that's that's how I remember who he is. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. And last question. John Wick has already seen two sequels with a third in development. A television series is also in development, although instead of focusing on John Wick, it will follow what part of his world? It's the Continental. And that's what it's called. The origins of the Continental. And that's what it's called. Although we're probably not going to see it until 2021. Yes. And it's, um, I'm actually really glad that's being made because I thought that would be a really good TV show concept. Yeah, I'm excited about it, especially now that I have some foundation of the Continental besides, you know, my son playing Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, well, you can find me uh, on my, my podcast called SpyFi After Dark. And if you just look up SpyFi on YouTube, I started a vlog recently. Um, I'll be talking about future projects there. There's some stuff in the pipeline, so I don't really have anything like big to announce aside from those, but you can, you know, follow that stuff and you'll, you'll find out. 
and I, I enjoyed the episode of the podcast I got to listen to. I'm definitely going to be downloading some more and checking more out, more of what you're doing out. Which one did you listen to? The season two premiere, the horror one. Okay. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the three of you had a really good conversation going. Yeah, Curtis is a great dude. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you picking John Wick. Uh, I have to admit, when you first picked it, I, my first thought was, well, at least my girlfriend will be happy because I finally have to see this now. But I'm really glad I got to watch it. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what life's all about, making your girlfriend happy? Uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. I know she's listening right now. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode where we'll endure dangers untold and hardships unnumbered to fight our way to the castle beyond the Goblin City. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Mill and Singh for providing this week's conversation. And maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you, or you're particularly astonished when you discover people like me have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll try to get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. <laughs>